What do you like most about your sister? Nothing. Is your brother nice to you? Mm, yeah. Welcome to episode 13 of Behaviorally Speaking, a podcast featuring board-certified behavior analysts Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. On this episode, Angela and Kristen discuss the sometimes difficult task of parenting siblings. They share practical, easy-to-implement advice geared toward helping promote good, strong relationships and positive sibling interactions. Behaviorally Speaking is brought to you by Rethink Benefits, an employer-provided resource to support parents and caregivers of children with learning, social, and behavioral challenges. Learn more at RethinkBenefits.com. And now, here are your hosts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. Hello and welcome to our 13th episode of Behaviorally Speaking. I'm one of your hosts, Angela Nelson, a board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two. And I'm Kristen Bondi, also a board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two, but almost mother of three. Yay! We've got a little one on the way. Surprise! <laughs> I know, surprise everyone! Um, and it's quickly approaching, <laughs> so I only have like three weeks left and then we're going to have another little bundle of joy. Aw, can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and this is the best episode to announce that too, because we're going to be talking about siblings. So I feel like it's super appropriate because I'm yeah. going to have all sorts of, um, I might have to come back and look at these tips that we're going to talk about today for myself <laughs> in about two months. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Well, we are excited for you and we are very excited to also talk about a topic that will be applicable for you and for me and for a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about siblings today. We're going to go into fighting. We're going to talk about what contributes to fighting. Where do we draw the line or do we? And tips to promote some good relationships. Yeah, absolutely. This is a huge one. I feel like almost every single parent I'm talking to, and I actually was just visiting with one of my friends over the weekend, and this topic came up, and we were just talking about like, ah, oh, the fighting, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what do we do? So, um So, yeah, I think a lot of times we get asked, you know, is is it normal? Is it typical for siblings to fight? And yeah, of course it is. Um, You know, there's going to be certain things that contribute to fighting more than others. And some of them are pretty obvious and others maybe not so much. But age gap is going to be one. So if your kids are closer in age, like mine, (laughs) we're 20 Mm -hmm. months apart, there's a lot more fighting. They're, you know, there's they're, they're fighting over the same things, maybe. Um, certainly strong personalities or different temperaments are going to come into play. Uh, things like competition over objects or parents' attention, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that comes into play. Like in this situation, you know, I'll have a new baby coming along and my older two might start fighting more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lots of lots of different things can influence whether your kids are going to fight more than others maybe. And of course, gender is going to influence it too. So if you have two of the same, they might be more likely to fight. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we dive into our tips, though, I wanted to give just a little bit of context on what we mean today when we're talking about fighting or really sibling rivalry. So what does that look like? 
So for our little ones, we're seeing things like maybe they're fighting over tangible items. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. my toy, my toy, it could get a little bit physical. Maybe there's biting or pulling toys, which is definitely something we see over here in this house. <laughs> uh, fighting over parent attention. That's another big one too for yeah. our little ones. And then as kids get older, Angie and I talk a lot about this, but as kids get older, they they still fight. There's still a little bit of sibling rivalry, but it's different. It's over different things. So in elementary school, maybe they're fighting over tangibles and they're still fighting a little bit for parent attention, but they seem to be more logical <laughs> with the fights. <laughs> Relatively. <laughs> yeah. Re- yeah, exactly. Relatively more logical. So maybe a little less of the physical pulling, but maybe they're like actually getting into a verbal argument. Like, no, you said that, or you told me that. Mm-hmm. Yes, this happens a lot in our home with with our kids. They are also a little less than two years apart. So <laughs> their their fights tend to be about giving away toys or or maybe the older one convincing the younger one that they oh. can, you know, oh, but you don't need this. Can, can I have that? I'll give you something else. And then the other one wants it back. And how do you go about that? Is it, does it belong to the original owner or once the person gives it away, is it then the other new owners in Mm -hmm. in their possession? So yeah, these ones are, it definitely escalates in complexity when they get older. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always the tricky part in parenting. And we're going to talk a lot, a lot about tips for this today, but it's always like, how do I navigate that? Like, do I, you can't take sides, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, hmm. What do I do here? Yeah. Uh, so then last but not least is that as kids get a little bit older, so middle school, teens, and maybe into adulthood, we see that there's still a lot of rivalry going on, a lot of fighting. But again, it's more logical and maybe just you know, presenting their side of the story. So like, this is my, this is what happened. This is how I feel. And maybe not in the best way always, <laughs> but mm-hmm. definitely there's a, it's, there's a lot more complexity to it. Absolutely. So, Yeah. So really, before we dive in, the big question here, and I get asked this quite often with families or from families, but where do we draw the line? Do we do we draw a line? Do we say like, no, no, it's not okay at all? Or do we intervene? And when do we intervene? So we're going to talk a lot about that today. Absolutely. Well, so let's dive right into it. We're going to go into a couple tips that we've pulled from the research and just a lot of experiences working with families across the world. (laughs) And uh, these are some of the things we came up with. So tip number one, set some ground rules. I know it seems, you know, kind of, um, I guess it's it's basic and uh, seems pretty straightforward, kind of a no brainer. But when you think about it and you think, do I have specific rules around sibling interactions? You know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. So for our little, little ones, an example of some ground rules might be, well, using your words versus your hands, right? And mm-hmm. having contingencies, having things in place for that, that might be the number one ground rule. If we're playing with our sibling, you can't use your hands, you got to use your words, right? So for an older uh dyad or tryout or however um, many siblings you have in your home, using a calm voice instead of yelling, no name calling, be respectful or, or don't be mean, right? So those sort of mm. having those sort of rules in place. And for consequences, having your kids perhaps come up with those. Maybe mm-hmm. you're enlisting their ideas. You got to get their buy-in, having them come up with those up front. So you're having a family meeting maybe on a Sunday night and say, guys, we've been having a lot of fighting lately. We need to come up with some new rules going forward. 
want you guys to be involved in that process. And then as the parent, your job is to really enforce that and make sure that uh, you're staying consistent and, and they're staying consistent. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading something this morning and it it really highlighted exactly that. So bringing your kids in on the plan, having that family meeting. And one thing that it mentioned was to have consistent family meetings. And we, Mm. so I know I love your, you always say like, you can't just throw spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks. But you know, it's the same thing here. It's like, you can't just say like, these are our rules. Here you go. There they are. And then maybe we have to consistently have those meetings and say, how did it go? How did we do this week? And, you know, go continue to follow up with that and make sure everybody still understands the rules. I love that. Actually, I didn't even think about that. So having your initial kickoff meeting, but then Mm -hmm. having almost like troubleshooting meetings where you can work through and problem solve together with your kids buy in. That's great. And then they can give up specific examples so that you guys can kind of work through it, maybe in a calm, calm setting and Mm -hmm. talk about what could be different or better. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely want to set those ground rules. (laughs) Definitely tip number one there. And then once you do that, it's really important. So tip two is really to practice appropriate interactions. So we do this a lot in our house, but doing things like role play. So this is, you can get out the little stuffed animals and maybe you have a parent involved and, or the action figures, or even, you know, your little cars could have personalities, but Mm -hmm. really role playing what it's, what that positive sibling interaction is like, or how to navigate a challenging, you know, maybe they're, maybe the bear and the dinosaur want the same toy, you know, Mm -hmm. how do they work that out? So, so do that with your kids. And then of course, when the fighting is happening, so I have a good example of this. So my kids, as you know, are, gosh, they're almost three and five now, but they're still two and four (laughs) and they, they will fight over a toy, but since they're still little, they do like the, the, the grabbing fight. So like, for instance, we have this really cool bike that we have outside, but we only have one. Mm -hmm. So if my son's on it or my daughter's on it, typically my daughter will try to get on it. My son like tries to run up real fast and just like get on it first. Yeah. And so I've had to work with him and say, wait a second, you know, what do we do in this moment? If you want the toy, but she is going to it first, you know, how can you use your words, ask for your turn and all that. So I'm having to really help navigate that for him and say, what do we do instead in this moment? So we're practicing it. So then when it happens again, and if I'm not there, hopefully he would be more likely to use his words Mm -hmm. versus just stealing it from her. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) absolutely. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's a tough one. Well, yeah. So let's let's go into number three here um, and kind of hits on what you're just talking about, too. So listening without taking sides. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need to be that sense of clarity, providing clarity, recapping each person's side. And it'll help you see and, and them ideally see the other person's perspective, too. So it might be something like, okay, what are we talking about here? What are we arguing about, guys? Um, it sounds like you're arguing about whose turn it is to get the, the the bike or whose turn it is to pick the movie. That happens a lot in our mm-hmm. house. And so you're laying it out, just being clear, making sure that everybody understands what's going on. And that could take a, a second to pause and kind of reevaluate, right? So in our house, for example, we do have, we did uh, have an issue around picking shows or movies and, and so on. And they often would disagree. So my kids are almost six and almost eight. So we're in a different mm-hmm. 
kind of period of fighting. And so going back to number one, choosing those ground rules, what we ended up doing is just designating days. So we would Mm -hmm. hear, you know, I'd hear them out and they both had good points of view. Well, you picked last night. I know I picked last night, but I I'm picking a show that we both like, right? So it's, it was kind of <laughs> hard to say this person's right and this person's wrong. So we heard out both sides and then we ended up going back to point one, getting out ground rules again and just saying, all right, every day is uh, the, the opposite person's turn to choose a show. So even if it was a weekend and you had a morning show, well, then you get to choose the ones in the morning and then you can also pick the one in the evening too. And it was just a lot more concrete. And now we don't have any fighting over that because we had to stick with that ground rule. So yeah. yeah. I feel like that is like a common theme <laughs> that we talk about so much, probably on every episode, but how can you be proactive and, and just making sure like, okay, here's a challenge that I have. What can I do ahead of time? Because I know that this is a challenge. What can I do ahead of time to maybe prevent that mm-hmm. from happening? Yeah. So that's a really good idea. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so tip three, so listening without taking sides that might help spark some new rules, perhaps, which is what happened with our family. And then kind of part B of that really is you're not always going to know who the instigator is. You might be working on something and then they come together or one at a time and they present an issue to you. So, (laughs) you know, you again, you might need to go back and say, all right, if, if you guys are fighting, maybe you both need to separate or you're both not going to earn shows, right? They might both be contributing to this problem in some form or fashion, but you weren't there, so you don't know exactly what happened. So that could actually go back to, again, rule number one, setting guidelines. So if things happen and it wasn't in your line of sight, then mm-hmm. maybe it's just this blanket consequence. Okay, you guys are both involved. You're both going to need to take a break from each other or you're not going to earn your shows. And I think that kind of pushes them to work things out on their own, to be honest, because they know if it gets escalated to a parent mm-hmm. that they're both <laughs> going to have a consequence. So it, I don't know, at least in my house, it forces them to problem solve on their own. Obviously, we'll talk about things like aggression and more serious things that do need parent involvement. But Um, in the most, for the most part, you know, we don't know who the instigator is sometimes. And so, um, you know, having a blanket consequence might be good. Yeah. And I really like that idea too, because I know, um, the next, uh, the next tip here that I'm going to talk about really is resolving conflicts on their own and and helping, helping coach them to do that. But I feel like if you make a a level playing field for your kids and you say, look, you're both going to be in trouble (laughs) if this happens, it really does cause them to have to work it out on their own. And maybe you get a little bit less of that tattletaling mm-hmm. or, you know, mom or dad's always going to come in and save the day. And it, right. there's just such a ripple effect because too, if you're intervening all the time and then, you know, one child might be like, you always take her side, you know, mm-hmm. and then, and then you're really just killing many birds <laughs> with one stone by right. doing that. So right. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So tip four, we're moving right along here. <laughs> so tip four Really, so so we've practiced how to resolve these these conflicts and really whether they're little or they're older, you know, really just practicing, okay, how can we do that? And then what's really important next is that we help coach our kids to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. So you're not always going to be there. You're not always going to want to or need to intervene. So thinking about some ways that you can start doing that with them. So first and foremost, obviously, you're going to have to intervene a bit. So as I was saying earlier, I have to jump in there with the bike situation and be like, okay, wait a second, guys, you know, we can't fight over this bike physically. But 
thinking about some ways, okay, how could you resolve this? So you're maybe giving them like, like Angie had mentioned. So I'm hearing this from you. I'm hearing this from you. What is, what is a way that you can resolve this? Mm -hmm. I actually had a, I was just thinking about a family I worked with and the dad had this great idea. He had a blue, he had like two blue chairs or something. And he, he called it like their conflict resolution chairs <laughs> and he had three boys and every single time they got into any sort of argument or some sort of struggle over a toy, he was like, go get the chairs boys. <laughs> and he got, he, he pulled out these blue chairs and he would sit them down and he helped them work through these conflicts. And I thought it was awesome. And so, you know, kind of the way that, what that looks like is you would, would work it, work them or work with them the first couple of times, and then you're going to fade back. So you're not going to, you know, you're going to let them work it, resolve it on their own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so I guess part of that is we want to help them intervene and coach and then have them be involved in that brainstorming. So, you know, what do you think is fair in this situation? Um, you know, how can we resolve this? What is your idea for resolving this conflict? And then, as I said, you're then you're going to fade yourself back and and maybe you're just kind of on the other side of the room. So you can use the chairs as the example, sit them down and then say, OK, guys, you know, resolve this. And then maybe you're just listening from afar, making sure that they're able to resolve it on their own. Yeah, I love that. It's great because you're upfront giving them the tools that they need. You're giving them maybe some language or some pointers, and then you're slowly starting to fade out, which is what's going to happen in the real world. So mm-hmm. this is a good example of coaching your kids and, and providing them with what they need so that they can generalize that to school and play dates and the workplace eventually and oh, college yeah. and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So number five we may need to proactively work on some separation, right? So we might have to proactively separate our our kids if if need be. We might need to look for some precursors to fighting. So what we've talked talked about up to this point has really been more verbal arguments, just kind of more petty, smaller things. We are going to talk about when things escalate a little bit in just a minute. But um, this is kind of that intermediate step, right? So if things are starting to escalate, you want to look for those precursors fighting, you may need to um, separate them. I know, Kristen, you you have a point about toys. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking um, earlier, I, I was reading a little bit about this and it, it really actually goes along with your, your point that you said earlier with the movies. So being proactive in, or the TV shows and saying, okay, you have this day or you have this day. Um, so if you know that your kids are consistently fighting over toys then maybe there's a certain time where they own that toy. And we see this a lot with older kids in video game time. It's like, no, it's my turn. Why didn't know it's my turn? You know? So again, kind of having a schedule and saying, okay, on this day, you essentially quote unquote own that toy. Mm-hmm. And so we know whose turn it is. And so that can really help with some of the fighting or arguing over it. Yeah, it's, you highlighted it earlier. And it, I think it does, this is a theme that's woven in all of our podcasts, which is, be proactive, plan ahead, kind of do your thinking at night when the kids are asleep. Think about this. When are my kids more or less likely to erupt in a fight? Mm -hmm. So how can we proactively separate them perhaps at strategic points during the day? So (laughs) if there's time (laughs) when you're making dinner, (laughs) right? Yeah. So kids are coming home, um, from wherever they were and maybe it's uh, a long day with school, whether it's remote school or in person, who knows these days, right? And (laughs) it's four to 5 p.m. perhaps. Maybe that's the time where 
they are strategically doing their own thing. They've got a set mm-hmm. activity or there's some sort of activity box or you're helping our, your older ones to proactively set, you know, set some time apart or alone just to prevent some potential squabbles. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this isn't really a timeout. This is more of a break to reduce the likelihood of fighting. So again, being proactive, we might need to think ahead and, and plan out our uh, evening, perhaps if that's the time that's uh, most likely causing some squabbles. Yeah, definitely. I actually suggest that to parents a lot, the activity boxes. So I'll say, come up with, they can, and they can do it, they can help you <laughs> create this activity box. But every kid has a little box of things that they have in it that they like to do. It's not work, so to speak, but, you know, maybe stringing beads or Play-Doh or something not so messy, uh, you know, something that they can maybe play with or color or whatever, but you can fill that box with things that they enjoy. And then their box is in a certain room and you separate them and you say, okay, so every day at five o'clock while I'm making dinner, this is what you're doing. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we get to a little tricky part. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I get this question all the time from families, but tip six, what if it gets physical? So we've got play fighting, but then we actually have fighting. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, there's like the, there's the, the silly stuff that, that kids will do walk up and kind of, you know, poke their sibling or, or pinch them a little bit, or, you know, kind of just annoying things that, yeah. and that's all very, very typical behavior. But then we have actual, okay, well now you're punching your sibling mm-hmm. or you're actually trying to cause harm to your sibling. And that's where we, you know, there's a slippery slope here. So it's, it's always tough for parents to decide, Oh, when do I, when do I step in? How do yeah. I, you know, what do I do here? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what I suggest to families is, um, and I'm, I, I grew up in a family of girls, so I did not wrestle with my siblings, but I hear all the time from, from parents who have boys, like wrestling is so normal. Like they just wrestle and fight and do all this stuff. So I think that if you're okay with your kids doing a little bit of that, you can have something like a safe word. So if someone's getting hurt or someone is now crossing the line, you have a safe word that everyone knows that they use. And then on top of that, they need to, that other person needs to stop when that safe word is used. Mm -hmm. And then if not, then that really just kind of goes back to your your rules in the beginning. So again, back to tip one. Absolutely. Yeah, that hard limit. (laughs) It's so tough. That's such a tough one because, you know, I think I get asked that a lot. I think I think wrestling and all that, you know, kind of fighting a bit is is quote unquote normal between siblings. But we definitely want to make sure that we are drawing the line there with aggression. So, again, having that contingency plan, if. Okay. If yes, it's a, it's fine if you're you're play fighting and all of that. But the second that you actually are hitting someone out of anger, then we have to make sure that we're we're drawing mm-hmm. the line there. And you know, Kristen, we we work with so many people across the world. There is a big spectrum of what parents feel is okay in this category. Mm-hmm. I've talked with a lot of parents where they're absolutely fine with their kids rolling on the ground and beating up on each other, and <laughs> other parents mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum that do not want even an ounce of what sounds a bit like disrespect or being kind of just right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so this is really one of those ones that's individualized. So really geared towards what parents feel is comfortable for them. But as we mentioned, going back to tip one again and again, set those ground rules, 
whatever you feel is best for your family is, is okay. And, and you should set those, those rules for what you're comfortable with, but they should be set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever I they get are. This, exactly. I get this one a lot too, that, um, kids will, they'll maybe wrestle with dad or, or with their older brother or their little sister. And then parents are concerned, like, well, are they able to, to understand that that's okay in the family, but not at school? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I was just thinking about that because I have a lot of parents who ask me that too. And I think it really just comes down to setting the criteria and saying, maybe it is like, yeah, you can wrestle with your brother, but you can't go tackle your friend at school, mm-hmm. something like that. You know, so really, again, you've got to lay it out crystal clear when you get into this fine line of, of mm-hmm. you know, fighting. Yeah, it's a good point. Sometimes parents will say, well, they should know that. Right, but, right, but they don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there could be some pretty intense consequences of making those assumptions. So mm-hmm. when it comes to this sort of thing, it's probably not best to assume. Probably best to just be crystal clear. <laughs> right. Yep. Totally. So, yeah. So getting down to the last couple tips here, using positive reinforcement, definitely definitely important one. We really want to, like we talk about quite often, uh Praise what we want to see. Mm-hmm. Praise the appropriate interactions. Hey guys, I really liked how you guys were playing today. That was awesome. Or you guys were doing such a great job helping each other out. I really like that. So giving some feedback essentially. Oh yeah. And I was just, so I was talking with a friend that I had said earlier, I was talking with a friend about this exact thing over the weekend. And what's interesting is sometimes parents are afraid to praise because things are going well. So you're like, Oh, oh, shh, don't say anything. They're playing together so nicely. And it's like, no, no, no. That's what you need to praise. <laughs> Jump in there and say, wow, you are playing so nicely instead of just uh, avoiding it all together because we want to, that's what we want to give attention to. Yeah, that's a good point. We forget sometimes when things <laughs> yeah. are going well. Um, <laughs> that's exactly the time to praise so that we can keep that truck running down the road in the mm-hmm. right direction for a longer period of time. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes that's sufficient, right? Just verbal praise. But sometimes we do need to set out some more specific reinforcement plans or a formal plan. Mm-hmm. And one example I like to give sometimes is the pom-pom jar. But this could be just symbolic for any sort of variation that's appropriate and matches your kid's behavior and, and age, of course. But a pom-pom jar, just to bring it back around again as a reiteration, we use it for, for our family. Although we've kind of faded it out, we don't really need it so much anymore. But if there's good sibling interaction, playing nicely, they're sharing, no screaming and, you know, accusing and things like that, they can earn a pom-pom and you can have different sizes. You can have different size jars. You can play around with the frequency at which you give the pom-poms. Um, they could have in our, our family, we have an extra special glittery pom-pom for really good <laughs> stuff. And sometimes you have the bigger pom-poms, which naturally take up more space in the jar. So you need fewer of those. So you can play around with, with the combinations, but it it's a great kind of unique way to get kids to focus on playing nicely or interacting nicely as a joint reward. Uh, so it, it really encourages them to you know, kind of work together to earn whatever it is that uh, they're going to cash these pom-poms in for. So it might be, for our family, it's a trip to the ice cream store, which is highly motivating for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of our our way of getting them to to work together. And they, because they know what it is, it's right there on the countertop, 
they'll ask me, you know, how do we do today? How do we do today? And I'll ask them, well, how do you think you did? And sometimes they will be honest. Yeah, I don't know. We fought a little bit. Okay, well, maybe we didn't earn it today. Um, so it's just something to, to consider a joint reward versus a separate reward. Sometimes it might be that you need to set up separate rewards. You're just having very different behaviors popping up for different kids. So you might need to do it separately, but um, I don't know. The the re joint reward system, I think, is kind of a, a clever idea to get them, um, you know, also some positive peer pressure and mm -hmm. getting them to encourage each other to, <laughs> to play nicely. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I love the idea to start out with a joint reward and to go for that first. It's, it, sometimes it works in some families and for others it, it doesn't. But, um, you know, I always suggest trying the joint reward first because I think that it does allow them to say like, okay, we got to do this. You know, we've got to get this done. Yeah. But, but it is important, I will say, to make sure that whatever the reward is after the pom-poms are earned, mm -hmm. it is a reward. <laughs> so I had a family I talked with last week and they said, well, we tried the pom-pom jar, but it turns out that what we ended up earning, the kids didn't really want. Oh. <laughs> I was like, well, so let's talk a little bit about that. You know, Go back um, to basics. <laughs> right, right. So make sure that they're, that you're not choosing the reward for them. <laughs> that it's like, no, no, what do you guys want to earn? And then also thinking about, we talked a lot about this during our positive reinforcement podcast, yeah. but making sure that the frequency is appropriate. So if they have to earn this giant jar of pom-poms to start out, well, then we're probably going to run into a challenge there because that zoo trip isn't going to be for another three weeks mm -hmm. because it's going to take them that long to earn it. So making sure that it's maybe a tiny little jar to start out and using Angie's idea, they go for ice cream, maybe on Fridays or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great point. Definitely refer back to that positive reinforcement yeah. webinar. That's kind of like one of our foundational podcasts, I think. And you can use a lot of those strategies to apply oh, yeah. to more of these niche topics here. So. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, okay, so the next one here, and we're gonna, I guess we could call it a little bit of a deeper concept. And we get asked this quite often. But so yes, we can encourage our kids to get along and, and to play and do all of that stuff. But sometimes we run into challenges where we want to build a strong relationship between siblings and maybe they they don't have that. So we want to build that relationship. So they didn't naturally, you know, they're not naturally gravitating toward each other or something. And, and you're, you want your kids to actually build a bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we'll talk a little bit about that. So, so really some ways that you can help your kids build that bond would be to point out some shared interests. So I get a lot from families like, well, you know, I have two boys or two girls and you, they seem like they like the same things, but every time I try to get them into the same activity or the same sport, they're, they're just not interested in the same stuff. So it makes it harder for them to build that bond. So thinking about some parallels between their interests. So maybe if they both like to play outside, but one likes to maybe run around and, and toss a football around, and maybe the other one wants to sit outside and color, well, that's okay. Have them just at least be outside at the same time. <laughs> so they're doing mm -hmm. something, but maybe they're not necessarily doing it together. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, my chimes are going off on my phone. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> You're always needed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a great idea. I like that. It's yeah, not everyone's going to have the same interest. So how can right. you start to blend a little bit together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that same vein too, helping them understand each other. So age, chronological age plays a big part in this as well. 
Kristen, you had a good idea actually that I thought was great, which is interviewing your sibling. Yes. I love this one. Yeah. And there's all sorts, if you just type in <laughs> into your search box, um, interviews for siblings, there's all sorts of worksheets for this, which I think is really neat. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to how you would interview your friend at school. Sometimes they do that in the classroom, just to get to know your peers, do the same thing with your sibling because mm-hmm. They have, you know, it's nice. And then that also can help you find some common ground or some some shared interest that maybe you didn't even know that they had. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point that yeah. they they don't know that they had. Too. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we both like that. Oh, OK. So, yeah. And that can be really helpful, too, in finding a movie that they both might want to watch. Yeah. So back to your example earlier, <laughs> finding something that they both like to do mm-hmm. or like to watch. I will say in our house, we... <laughs> our kids are because they're a little bit younger and my daughter is just uh she just kind of goes with whatever big brother says so he'll he'll convince her he's like you you love that dragon show remember <laughs> how much fun it was last time <laughs> that doesn't go away <laughs> soon yeah that's that's still in our house too <laughs> oh man yeah uh so so yeah a couple other ways here to really encourage the, the positive sibling interactions is do some activities that promote teamwork so force them <laughs> essentially <laughs> to have to be together to work together to do something. So maybe cooking or baking, or maybe they're doing a fundraiser together. They've got to collectively you know, figure out how they can get to the end goal there or, mm-hmm. or even science projects, some something that they can do that they have to work together. Yeah, that's great. We, we got for a while, we don't anymore, but we got one of those science subscriptions, um, oh, cool. subscription boxes. And it did, it prompted a, or it caused a little bit of squabbling, I will say, <laughs> but it definitely forced them to get together and work as a team. If they didn't work as a team, it wasn't going to work. You know, right. they each had different jobs. So it was a good exercise. Yeah, absolutely. I have a fun one. I just thought of this. I do this with uh, families that I've worked with in the past where we're working on sibling relationships. But what we would do is you would have the kids sit back to back and they have to draw. So one person draws a picture and let's just say it's like a house, just, mm-hmm. you know, a square triangle. And then, so one person draws the picture and then the other person, well, that person draws a picture and then they describe it. So they, they probably do this a lot with team building in the workplace, but so <laughs> one, one, uh, sibling would describe it, like draw a square, draw a triangle, oh, yeah. the square, you know, and they're having to work together and, and come up with what, what does it look like? You know, how did that end mm-hmm. goal? What, what did I describe it? Okay. So it really works with communication between them, but then also it's kind of silly because it's kind of funny to see what, what they draw, <laughs> what they come up with and how they hear or interpret their sibling. You know, we actually do that just we, we've done that a couple of times, actually, in the last few weeks, but we have one of those magnet doodle sort of things, those oh, magnet yeah. boards, mm-hmm. and we'll just close our eyes and then the other person will give the directions and then you open your eyes and it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> they get such a kick out of it. They love, they love doing that. So yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. So, so that's a great activity to facilitate some teamwork. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah. Another one too, and I've, I've heard you talk about this quite a bit as well, Kristen, is having a sibling journal mm-hmm. or, you know, being able to, well, I'll take the sibling journal first. So writing things, nice things or questions back and forth to each other. I've actually suggested this between child and parent as well, especially mm. oh, if communication. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit harder, but at least for the purposes of today, 
having a sibling journal and dialoguing back and forth. Sometimes people can get their feelings out a little bit more on paper. You're away from the potentially volatile situation. So you can sit down in private and write down what your thoughts mm-hmm. are and maybe be more coherent than screaming at your sibling. And also having an affirmation board. This is something that I know some families like to do, writing some nice things about each other to just promote some positivity on the way out the door or an affirmation jar that you can fill things with and your sibling can pull one out. So just other little nice things to think about to try to put a more positive spin on the day and their relationship. Yeah, that one is so important. And I feel like it does it is, it can be really helpful, especially for your age kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mine are still a little bit too young. And I feel like I'm constantly doing this with mine because they're at that age. And I'm sure a ton of our parents listening right now are thinking the same thing, but they're at an age where they're kind of like, I don't like you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? hold on. <laughs> or I hate you. And I'm like, oh, <gasps> you know, me over here, like, oh my gosh, don't ever say that again. You know, you love your sibling, but you know, we can't force them, I guess, to, to, do this. But I think with our older kids, we can, we could say, what are some things, what are some positive traits you, you love about your sibling? Or what was something really cool that your sibling did for you today? Mm-hmm. So, you know, really helping them see from that lens of, of positivity. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of the next tip here I was going to mention. So promote those acts of kindness. So when they happen, so if your one child particular in particular does something nice for the other, let's point it out. You know, let's make sure that they are aware that they did that and we can let's praise that. And so that hopefully that will then continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one example of that, which we think is pretty cool, is that each morning my younger one is a lot more proactive with getting ready <laughs> for the day. <laughs> And she'll come downstairs and she'll get herself some cereal and stuff. And she'll put out a bowl and a spoon and a cup for my older daughter. Oh. Unprompted. Yeah. I mean, it was that's just a so nice sweet. Yeah. And certainly that's something that we have really praised because I want her to realize that, hey, I recognize that. I want you to keep doing things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to positively reinforce that behavior for sure. But yeah, I mean, I just thought that was a really sweet act of kindness that no one told her to do. She just did it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good one. Yeah. So sweet. All right. So kind of getting to the last bit of our dive deeper concept here into promoting some positive sibling interactions is helping them see if a sibling needs help or support. So a lot of what we've been talking about is inter- direct interactions happening at home. But another way that you can build or strengthen your relationship, especially outside the home is helping your kids understand or recognize when a sibling is in trouble or they're being bullied or mm-hmm. when they're having a hard time with friends or maybe even just a hard time with homework or something. So pointing that out, really praising that, Hey, I heard that, you know, so-and-so wasn't being very nice to your sibling at school or on the, on the walk home and that you stood up for them. And that was really great. And, you know, so glad to hear that, that you're sticking up for your, your little brother or your little sister. So helping them first to visualize opportunities to to help and then really praising them when, when it does happen. Yeah, that's so great. And it's so important. It's really kind of coming out of that, like just me, 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 me perspective and realizing, well, Hey, there's someone else here that's kind of attached to you for a while. And mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to, to help that other person out and, 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 you know, help them find ways where they can do that. So 
Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Should we do a, a quick recap of our, our, t- our, I guess, eight tips? Yeah. Before? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Maybe we'll go back and forth. So number one, we referenced this quite a bit, set those ground rules, make sure that everybody's crystal clear mm-hmm. about what the rules are for sibling interaction. Definitely. And number two, practice appropriate interactions. So when those opportunities present themselves, make sure that you are practicing and using that moment to teach appropriate interactions. Mm -hmm. Next one, number three, listen without taking sides. You may not know who the instigator was. Um, You may need to just recap uh, what you are observing, what's happening, and uh, kind of go from there. And maybe a joint consequence is, is, in, is uh, in need. Right. Yeah, definitely. And tip four, give them opportunities to resolve conflict on their own. So we definitely want to step in, especially if things get physical, like we had talked about. But giving them and teaching them opportunities giving them and teaching them ways that they can um, resolve those conflicts on their own. So you don't always have to step in. Mm, Absolutely. Tip number five, proactively separate your kids if possible. If there's a certain time of day where historically the fights really start popping up or erupting, that might be a good time to plan ahead and say, all right, guys, let's, let's go our own separate ways for a little bit until we get some dinner. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tip six. So if things are kind of getting over into the physical territory, territory where they're not so much play fighting, but they're actually getting physical, make sure that you have those safe words in place or you have some really, really strict rules around that. Yeah, absolutely. And then tip number seven, we talked a little bit about positive reinforcement. So Mm -hmm. really praising those positive interactions and then maybe even consider some sort of a sort of formal plan if needed, it might even include some sort of joint contingency or joint reward like that pom-pom jar example. Yep. And then tip number eight. So uh, after all of those things, um, try to continue to encourage positive sibling interactions. So some of the things that we suggested in ways that you can really promote building a bond between the siblings, because that's really important as well. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good list. I know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as you know, Angie and I both have kids. So our, our real talk with real moms could probably go on for like 45 minutes today. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we'll try to keep it short. Um, what about you, Angie? Anything? I guess uh, the answer is probably yes. But anything unique or uh, that you wanted to talk about in, for this for this topic? Today? Yeah, I mean, I, I referenced it earlier and Right now, I, I actually don't really have a perfect solution for this. I'm, we're still kind of formulating our plan, but it has to do with giving away toys and then wanting them back later. This mm. happens a lot. I think so. My older one sees something my younger one likes, and somehow she negotiates her way to, to get it, <laughs> or she <laughs> um, encourages my my younger one uh, to <laughs> relinquish that toy because she somehow doesn't need it or whatever it is. But also my younger one is, my older one likes to hoard a lot of things. My younger one's a little bit like, ah, I haven't played with it for a while. I'm, I'm fine. You can have it. I don't really care about it anymore. But then they'll be playing and then she's walking back to her room with that toy that she already gave up. And then, of course, my older one is saying, wait a second. You already gave that to me. That's mine now. <laughs> so oh, man. that's a, t- I mean, that's a really, that's a tough one. Um, I think the, the, 
plan that we're formalizing now really goes back to hit topic one or tip one, which is setting ground rules. I, I, I mean, we can't really stress that enough, how how much that could save you from some potential uh, drama in the in the home, right? So if the rule is you give it up, then you are no longer the owner of that toy. You can't take it back later because it's essentially acting as a gift mm-hmm. or like, yeah, gift giving um, like interaction, right? So if you don't want it anymore, think for a minute before you give it up. Once you give it up, it's gone. And right. maybe the older one can share it, but yeah. <laughs> that is so tricky too, because I think there's just such a fine line of like giving versus borrowing. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I just let you borrow that. <laughs> I could totally see that happening. Like, well, wait a second. I was, I just, I don't have to borrow it. So, but that's actually a yeah. really good point that you bring up though. And that's something that we could integrate because maybe there are definitions for borrow right. versus give away. And maybe that's part of the process. Okay. Hold on before you give this away, pause and, and think for a minute. Is this a borrow or is this a, a, like yeah. a, a lend yeah. or is this a gift? Yeah. Right. You know? Right. And, and then I'm like yeah. envisioning like a log. <laughs> like You're going to get out your little notepad. Cause I would totally do this. And like, be like, okay, but my little pony toy given on <laughs> April When is 6th, the due date? Three, you when need is to this, return it by. <laughs> in three weeks, we're going to go back and look at this. And do you still want to get, do you still want your sister to borrow it? <laughs> Keep a log. That's yeah. Totally something I would do. <laughs> yeah. This is just, this is something that goes on in our house all the time. And there's some sort of manipulation, I think from older one oh, yeah. too, just to convince like, oh, you don't, you don't really need that anymore. Right. No, let's you already have a couple of those. So, um, we have to look out for that too, to make sure that one person's not taking advantage of the other mm-hmm. person. But I think laying out some ground rules and yeah, the lending versus gifting, yeah. Stipulation yeah. can really help with this. <laughs> Definitely. So my situation, it actually <laughs> goes nicely with yours in that the common theme is that, you know, big sibling is trying to control the little sibling. And in our, I have a very funny story about this. It's not so funny for the little one, but it's just funny. <laughs> so it was like seven in the morning and my little one, she's almost three and she is working really, really hard on not peeing in her diaper in the middle of the night, you know, mm-hmm. going pee pee in the middle of the night. She needs to. So, so she's been super proud of herself every morning. She gets up and she's like, I didn't go in my diaper. And I'm like, great, go to the bathroom. And so she had walked downstairs the other day to go to the bathroom. She's saying, I'm going to go. And big brother was like, no, sissy. We call her sissy. And he says, no, sissy, you can only pee upstairs. <laughs> and she's oh. like, what? And she just starts crying. It's like seven in the morning. She probably has to really pee. And he's like, no, you can only pee upstairs. So she starts crying and she, but she listens to him. That's the thing. Like she turns around and goes back upstairs. So I have to intervene and say like, Parker, no, she can pee anywhere she wants to. She, you can't dictate what bathroom she pees in. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, you know, correct him. Like, and then I told her, I was like, go, no, stay downstairs and you can go. And she's just like, no. And then she just goes upstairs to, to go. And I'm just like, oh man, and it happens all the time. And so mm-hmm. it's like, how do we, and again, I don't really have a solution to this one either, but it's like, 
I think the bigger sibling, when they feel that they can control the little one, they're going to do that. And and even if it's mm-hmm. peeing at seven in the morning, for whatever random reason, he felt like he needed to control that. I know, I know what you're talking about, though, because my my kids still, you know, I'll get Lily will say, Mom, Rosie ate you know, too many crackers or something. (laughs) Why do you care what she's eating? Why you're not the boss of her food intake. So (laughs) I'm wondering if there's a way to spin. And this is common, right? The older, the older sibling is trying to control the younger sibling in whatever capacity. So I'm wondering if we could somehow spin that into being helpful versus controlling and Mm -hmm. start to help paint a picture of what the two that dichotomy looks like. No, this is controlling. So calling, like in our example, calling um, that sort of thing more controlling. Oh, you know, think about you're just controlling yourself and you're you're right. not controlling your sister's behavior and what she's eating or what she's playing. That's controlling versus helping. If you're lending a helping hand and someone needs help or someone, you know, right. um, if sissy needs help with her diaper or right. if she needs help getting on the toilet, something that's helping versus controlling some, I don't know, maybe there's something to that. Yeah. I love that. And and I think that that's such a good angle to take where it's like, she obviously has to go to the bathroom. She can't turn on the light herself. So she always asks him like, mm-hmm. Parker, can you turn on the light? And so he does <laughs> usually he'll go over and say, okay, and I'll turn on the light for her. And I think that would be the opportunity to be like, Oh, that's so nice to help her out when she has to go to the bathroom versus mm-hmm. trying to control where she's going in the house. So yeah. Oh, yeah, I love siblings. that idea. It is so common. My mom actually tells a story that when we were little, my older sister used to every now and then we'd go to the store and I guess we would get to pick out like a stuffed animal or something. And my older sister, every single time figured out a way to to get it so that both of the stuffed animals were what she wanted yeah. versus <laughs> what I wanted. And we just tell the story all the time. I ended up with this like ugly little duck that like it, it was, I don't even know. It was like the worst stuffed animal. My mom, my mom was like, <laughs> but she wanted it. Like, that's what you want to pick. And I was like, yeah, I was like four or something. So I mean, very common. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I admit that I was the oldest sibling. Oh, so you three uh, girls and I know, <laughs> yeah, I kind of know what, what this is about. <laughs> so yeah, oh, it's funny. Ah, siblings. Yes. I know. Yeah. Well, this is good. I think that uh, hopefully everyone listening got some really good tips today because this is, you know, siblings, it's, it's a, it's always a unique topic. And I think there's always going to be struggles. And mm-hmm. as we emphasize today, like there's going to be struggles when they're little and then when they're in middle school and then when they're older and then they're fighting over clothes. And so mm-hmm. there's all sorts of different things that you're going to encounter. And so hopefully we gave you some tips today. Uh, to really help you navigate some of those. So thanks again for joining us for our 13th episode of Behaviorally Speaking. Join us next month where Angie discusses how to create healthy habits with a special guest. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. We'll miss you, Kristen. I know. I'll be gone for a few months. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be back. Yes. You've been listening to Behaviorally Speaking with Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi, brought to you by Rethink Benefits. Find out more about Rethink at rethinkbenefits.com. You can find past podcast episodes under the resources tab. We also invite you to subscribe, follow, like, and leave us feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Your feedback helps us prepare topics and content for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day.